John chapter 5, verse 1 to 18. After this, there was a feast of Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going another step down before me, Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed. He took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, the man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, and nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now. I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Please keep your Bible open. Well, hello everyone, it's great to see you, and well done for turning out on such a hot day. Um, We've been going through this series uh, in John's Gospel, uh, the seven signs in John's Gospel, Um, so we're on uh, sign number three, we went forward and then we're coming back uh, to this one uh, in chapter five, so please do keep your Bibles open, we're going to be looking at that together. I want to pray for us, let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you do make yourself known uh, through your Son. And thank you so much for him. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray today that we would see that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in his name, we may have eternal life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When something is done in such a way, um, you can tell by what is done and how it is done. You can tell a little bit about the person who's done that thing, right? It kind of works like that. Um, give you an example. Um, I'm told, I don't you know, entirely believe this or commend this opinion, but I'm told that it's quite obvious when I make a cup of tea. Uh, because you, I promised a cup of tea and then 15 minutes later the boil kettle was still sat on the... Uh, on the side, with the cup, the mug, and if anyone was to come to that, they'd say, Rob, 
That's Rob. He's done, he's done that. Uh, the way in which I've gone about that act, okay, not very important, making a cup of tea, is it, it shows who, who I am and a bit of what I'm like. I get distracted. Um, forensics, you know the crime dramas that you all love? Who loves a crime drama? Okay, a few people willing to admit it. Um, they, they go by that, don't they? They go by how the thing is done, uh, whether it be a murder, a gruesome murder, or the person who's been murdered. They add up all of those clues and they say, well, the way in which this has been done must mean that this per- something about this person. And that's how they work it out. And in somewhat the same way, uh, we're going to see today that the type of healing that Jesus um, does here and the way in which he does that healing reveal what he is like, reveal who he is, his identity. Uh, so we're going to take each of them one by one. We're going to take the type of healing first, and we're going to take the way in which he heals the man second, and then we're going to see the man's response um, in the second half. You okay with that? Great. Um, so the type of healing. Um, let's read about this man. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Very specific, isn't it? The blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And then there's this one man, and he's been there 38 years. He can't walk. And um, the man's only hope is why he's there. It's the pool. Not, not a paddling pool. Uh, a pool. And uh, the man, man's only hope was that this pool would bring him healing. That's the word on the street. They'd said, this, is, this pool has magic healing powers. If you get yourself there, when the waters are stirred up, perhaps that was caused by a spring or something, uh, but when the waters start uh, bubbling, get in the pool and you'll be healed. But it hadn't worked, had it? Because 38 years and he's still there. So that's a pretty dim hope by anyone's estimation, isn't it? Hasn't worked. And then, to add insult to injury, to make this hope even dimmer, even this hope now hangs in the balance. Because he says in verse 7, what does he say? To Jesus. So I have no one to put me into the pool. So this man's hope has gone from being a very dim hope to being an impossible hope. Because it's no longer existent. He can't even get himself into the pool. It's a bit like... um, this is the definition of hopeless situation, isn't it? It's a bit like the sort of missing person case when they've got one last lead and then that goes cold. All hope is lost. Or the court case that the family are going through and it's always a shot to nothing, but they don't have the money to pay for the, for the legal advice. You know, all hope is lost. That's what we're talking about here. Um, the man's response to Jesus, his question, do you want to be healed? He says, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. It could be that the man's actually saying, Jesus, you're asking these questions, but why don't you help me get into the pool? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you might be saying, suggesting, oh, Jesus, would, would you make yourself useful? <laughs> um, so he's He's hopeless. He's still thinking that's his only hope. He's still holding on to that. And you don't blame him, really, because that's all he's got going for him. It's all that he has. 
He's still clinging on to it. And Jesus picks out this man, out of all the people that were there that day, out of all of the uh, illnesses and health problems and all of those kind of things, Jesus picks this man, and we're going to see why. Well, the prophets in the Old Testament, um, the prophets in the Old Testament talked about the Messiah, the one who would come, God's promised king, uh, who would reign forever. And this is a, an example uh, from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 5. It says this, that when God will come, he will come and save you. Um, then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, and the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the eyes of the blind shall be opened in verse 5. Exactly the same things. Eyes, ears, feet, Voices. And then, so when we see Jesus' healings, in particular this one, we should think, and this is saying about something about who Jesus is. The type of healing is telling us who Jesus is, and he's the Messiah. So that's, that's the big uh, arrow um, that we see already. Um, we also see in the method of Jesus' healing uh, something about uh, him as well, that he is the Son of God. And we don't actually have to look to other parts of the Bible to see that. We can find that in John 5. Um, So how does Jesus heal the man? Okay, does he put him in a nice cast or, you know, know, do something with his leg? No, just get up. Come on, together, one, two, three. Get up! He uses his voice, doesn't he? His voice is what heals the man. And his voice creates life in his body. (laughs) Um, It's amazing, isn't it? Um, Get up! That's the only thing we can remember that from the song, can't we? Um, but Jesus himself says in chap- in, in the, towards the end of this chapter, in verse 25, he says, if you look with me at verse 25, this is really important because it's about the powerful voice and the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. So it links the two together within the same chapter. So Jesus says, truly, truly, oh, sorry, um, let me go back. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. If you look down at verse 28, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus' powerful word the way in which he does this healing shows us that he is the son of God. And Jesus himself <laughs> says that that's what, what we're to think when we see his powerful word in action. And Jesus says you'll see even greater things than these because in just a few chapters time, Jesus is going to raise the dead. But, but that's even just a preview of the time when Jesus will raise all the dead uh, by his powerful word. So we've seen that Jesus is type of healing shows he's a messiah that the way in which he heals with his word his powerful word shows that he is the son of god Uh, but if if you need a bit more convincing there's two more times in this chapter when jesus says he is the son of god Um, so in verse 17 after this the jewish uh, leaders are saying you know they call him to them and he says in verse 17 jesus answered them my father is working until now my father is working until now and I'm working. And John himself then says, sorry, in response to that, he says that that's why they wanted to kill him. 
They wanted him dead, not just because he broke some of the Sabbath rules, that their particular Sabbath rules that they wanted, um, but because he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So John's really underlining this. Jesus is the son of God, and he's making that claim. He's proving himself to be by his powerful word. So Jesus is saying that the day when Jesus will call all the dead from the graves, either to eternal life with him or to um, judgment, is the day that this day should get us thinking about. And that's relevant for us, isn't it? Because all of us here are not going to be here. And yet there will be a day when Jesus' voice will summon us from wherever we are and will be raised to life. Um, and the other thing is, John's told us in chapter 20 that this is his purpose for writing this, letter, this book. This account of Jesus' life. John has said in chapter, 21, uh, chapter 20, verse 31, he said, These signs are written so that you may believe that the Messiah, the Son of God, is Jesus. The Messiah, Son of God, is Jesus. So that's the one you're looking for. And uh, that by believing you may have life in his name. So we don't have to go looking elsewhere. We know what John is wanting us to see. Jesus himself has said it. That he is the son of God. His powerful voice. And will call people from the grave. And this is just a preview of that. Jesus' act here by nature of the healing and his methods. Reveals that he is who he is. And he said what his powerful voice will, will do. And, and this week I went up to Shrewsbury. I don't know if you know. Um, I went to my granny's memorial service up in Shrewsbury um, and I was preparing on this passage. Isn't God good? You know, in the moment where I'm thinking, what, what's going on? God's word is, Jesus' voice is going to call people from the grave. And, and yes, that does ma- mean it matters what we think, what we, how we respond to him now. And we're going to look at the man's response. But, you know, this is not theory, <laughs> This is practice, isn't it? Um, it means something. And I'm sure it, if you think of it, um, there'll be loads of examples you can think of too. Um, so our response is what John focuses on in the next part of his, his record of the healing and what follows. So let's look at that under the second part of our, our, head, our second heading. sorry. Um, and it's this. The man's response is to reject Jesus. And this comes as quite a surprise, really. Doesn't it? Does that surprise you? No? Yeah? Man's response is to reject Jesus. Well, I think we are meant to be left a bit confused by the man's actions following the healing. Because all it takes is an accusation that's brought to him Yes, by some religious leaders. Yes, by some pe- important people. And then he's sort of saying, oh, pointing to Jesus and saying, it's Jesus who told me to do this. And we might think that's a sort of um, just giving glory where, or honour where honour's due or praise where praise is due. Um, but then even after Jesus talks to him and says, go and sin no more, what does the man do? What does he do? And this, uh, he went, the man went away, verse 15, and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. So, 
we are meant to be left a bit confused about this because it looks like, and it seems to be that he's, he's dropping Jesus in it. It looks like essentially what he was doing before Jesus healed him, which was trying to get an edge or a way forward in this life, is exactly what he's doing after Jesus has healed him. So the most important thing he seems to be concerned about after the healing, when he's confronted, is save my skin, this life, a way on in this life. And that's not with Jesus, that's with these guys. So it doesn't really show that there's much of a change. And I think we are meant to, the jury's out on this, but we are meant to look at that and think, Jesus has given this man the second opportunity by saying to him, go and sin no more. And when Jesus is saying that, he says there's something worse. He mentions something worse might happen. The something worse is eternal judgment. It's not that you could trip over and something, you know, you could go back to being paralyzed. It's not that. It's the something worse is Jesus is saying there's eternal things at stake here. And yet the man still seems to be just concerned with the here and now. And so really, it, it looks like he's rejected Jesus. He's walked away. Walked away from the one man who has given him his life back um, and not taken what he says to heart. And then you get the Jewish leaders themselves in this passage. And we can sort of see, can't we, that they are sort of obviously strikingly against Jesus because they're trying to kill him. It says that, doesn't it? Um, And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. And in the next verse, verse 18, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus. So it's obvious that they're against Jesus. And yet I think by putting these two together, John putting the rejection of the man, the indifference towards Jesus, and also the religious leaders who are really obviously against Jesus, hostile towards him, by putting them together, John is probably warning us and his readers. He's saying, you might think that rejection of Jesus is the hostility, it's also the indifference towards him. So if you, if you don't care about who Jesus is, and you think, I'll just go on my life happily without really knowing him, that is exactly the same as the, Jew, the Jewish leaders who wanted to kill him. You don't, you don't get a middle ground with Jesus because of who he is. To walk away from him is to reject him, is to oppose him. It's one and the same thing. And if John's readers are uh, original hearers of those who were also Jewish, descendants of those who had put Jesus to death, then maybe he's wanting to weigh them up a bit. Say, don't don't do the same thing. Don't don't pass on from Jesus. Don't, Don't miss the boat. He's trying to say to them, I think... Consider who Jesus is and respond to him rightly. If Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, then follow him. Um, so what does this mean for you and for me? Well, I think we started to see a bit of that. Sorry, that was him saying it was Jesus at the end. Um, so what does this mean for you and for me? If you're looking into what Christianity is and what the Bible is saying, that's great. And if you're doing that for the first time, it'd be great for you to see that it primarily points to Jesus' identity. And the reason I say that is because we can often take passages, particularly this one, and we can say, this is about healing. 
It's about whether God heals today, whether that proves that there is a God today. I see another healing like this and I'll believe. But that's to read ourselves into the Bible, into the interpretation of the Bible. And yet the Bible is about Jesus. And it's primarily about who he is first. And if we get who Jesus is, then that is relevant to us. Whether you see that kind of healing now or not. It's still relevant that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. John seems to think so. He's written that for us. And that truth is entirely relevant to us. Um, And what difference would following this Jesus bring to your life? Well, it would be the exact opposite of the man. You can pretty much do the exact opposite of how he responded, yeah? Because following Jesus, having Jesus as your Lord and Saviour would bring repentance, a changed life, and it would bring gratitude. And those are the two things that are missing. And I'd really encourage you, if you're looking into it, that Jesus is calling us to know him. He's shown us who he is through the pages of the Bible. And he he wants you to follow him. In fact, he commands you to follow him. And repentance is turning from our old life, our old way of rebellion against God, to living a new life. Living in such a way that follows God and obeys him rather than disobeying him. And Jesus died, the Messiah died, so that we would be forgiven from sin. And he he gives us everything we need to live that life. Um, So can I encourage you to come to him? Uh, Don't pass up on that opportunity. Don't think I can be indifferent. It doesn't really matter. Don't think that... You know, I'm not against Jesus, but I'm not for him either. I'm not interested in him, but I'm not at odds with him because that's just not true. John says, you either follow him or you want him out completely. Um, so, so you're in one of those two groups today. And if you realise you're in, in the group which is saying, I want Jesus on the cross, I want to kill him, I want to have, be rid of God entirely that should be a pretty concerning thought you don't have to stay there Jesus is saying this is who I am, come and follow me um, and if we're Christians um, then our lives will be marked by those two things so gratitude <laughs> which will be joy saying thank you to God thank you to Jesus for what he's done for us and repentance which also brings joy doesn't it Because we don't carry our sin anymore. We can come to our Father and say, look, you've died for this. You've sent your son to die for this. So I can repent. I can believe in that moment that you have forgiven my sin. And that brings joy. So of those two things, there should be a lot of joy in the Christian life. It should be from gratitude to God, from repentance, there should be a lot of joy. And I guess in these weeks, we can ask ourselves that question. How joyful am I? in what God has done for me am I joyful in my life as a Christian or am I a bit grumpy with other Christians am I you know what what does that look like and we can say we can repent and we can say sorry we can come back to him Um, the thing that causes us to reject Jesus is pride isn't it 
pride which often assumes we can make ourselves right with God in our own merit. And so it doesn't really like that Jesus had to die to rescue us. Spiritually speaking, we're just like that man, flat on our backs, looking up at Jesus. And the things we might want to try and convince him with just end up being like the man saying, Jesus, you know, why, why don't you get me in the pool? Or I think you should be doing this. But spiritually speaking, we're, we're down and out. We're, every hope is lost apart from Jesus. Um, so don't think that your own efforts will cut it because Jesus alone can save. Um, so why don't we pray? We need a miracle. We need him um, and no one else. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You can powerfully call people and send away illness and and death uh, because you are the Son of God, because you do what the Father does, because you are his Son. And thank you that one day you will prove that entirely uh, by raising everyone from the grave. And yet, Lord, we pray that we would be ready for that day because we have come to you now, because we have responded to you rightly. Uh, We pray that you'd help us to do that. Would you remove pride, where we have pride which assumes we are right with you already, and that we don't need your rescue? Uh, Would you help us to repent and to be glad of the salvation that you bring? And we do pray that we would continue to um, help each other to be repentant and joyful for all that you have done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.